Hello and welcome to the Q York podcast. It's great to have you with us today and we hope that as you listen, you'll be inspired as we continue on our shared quest together. This podcast is entirely free and yet it's not cheap to put together and wouldn't be possible without the generosity of our supporters. So if you consider yourself a supporter of Q, then please head to qyork.co.uk and hit donate to show your support today because there really is no Q without you. Thank you and enjoy today's message. Hi everybody, thanks for joining us from so many places across the world today. Uh, I trust that uh, what I bring to you this morning will be of use to you and help to move you on a little more in the journey to freedom and life to be a person who lives fully and loves wastefully. Uh, to those of you who are part of Q Church, uh, we have a little news coming out to you this week about when we intend to meet again. So please be looking out and listening out for that because we will look forward to seeing you in the near future as we begin to unfold those plans. Now I want to talk to you about something uh, this morning that uh, again may have for some a controversial edge uh, in regards to how I define this. Uh, but hopefully it will stir your thinking and bring something up from the inside of you that will ultimately and eventually and hopefully instantly bring you life and hope and peace. Uh, I've titled my talk today, I Will Not Repent, at least not as you know it. See, it's not so much where you're, what you're looking at in life uh, as where you're looking from that makes the difference. And uh, it's so easy to feel that you're always looking from under, from beneath, from below. That is where you find yourself looking at situations from a place that can never make you free. And uh, this is mostly to do with where you are looking from. And so I want to change uh, the position of where we are looking from at a particular thing today for you. Um, see, I believe there has been abuse and misuse of many principles conveyed and applied by the church and institutions which misrepresent the original idea contained within the thing and so make it the tool of manipulation rather than a means of emancipation. And what I want to talk about today is one of those things. I, I cringe every time I hear some group or organisation calling people to repentance. And I'm not being dramatic when I say that. I honestly do cringe. You know, we're going we're gonna to have a day of repentance. So we're calling the church to repentance. We're calling the church to repentance for the nation. We're calling the nation to repentance. Um, I have no problem with, with the wider context of the idea of repentance, which we, we'll, we'll talk about a little bit more later. But the implication of what is being asked for to me is extremely troublesome because it does not reflect the real expression of what was meant in, in the verses in the New Testament, particularly where people were told to repent. Now, I'm not going to read any of those verses today. For those of you who say this is not a proper message because you didn't read the Bible, well, today's isn't a proper message then because I'm not going to read the Bible. But you can find a lot of things. And some of you who know the Bible a little bit will have all of these Bible verses popping up in your head. Well, what about that? Well, what about that? This is what it says. But if you will look from where I am going to position you today and look at or through those things from this light, I think it will 
give you a different understanding. Um, I consider it repentance a mostly misappropriated, mistranslated, misunderstood, uh, misused word and concept. See, what, what we did was we took a Greek word from the Bible text uh, and then passed it through a wrong cultural lens and came up with an interpretation that at best is misleading, at worst is wrong. So wh why should I be interested, some of you will say, I'm, I'm not really that religious or, or that studious or that bothered. Well, you should be because the real truth is really, really good. And, that, and that's what I want to get through to you today. You see, my view is that we've taken the original idea, not fully liked it, and so imposed on its meaning a word that misleads as to its purpose, but it fits perfectly in the purpose of um, institutional religion and organized non-mystery based, uh, non-paradoxical, non-adventurous, non-evolutionary uh, concepts of the unfolding of God and, and, and what we call scripture and what this whole thing means and the questions that we've wrestled with as long as humanity has been on the face of the earth. See, the translators took the Greek word, which is metanoia, metanoia, and translated it as repentance, which we put those together, repentance. They could have said, which is what that word metanoia means, they could have said, turn around, change your mind, think differently but no no and why didn't they do it why didn't they say turn around and you'll be converted and what you thought was the thing that was holding you back will be gone from your life it will be taken it will be forgiven but no no we, we had to bring in this word repentance just like we brought in the word gospel which is a made-up word for what everybody knows the translation is good news. Well, why not just say good news? Well, the problem is that imparts a responsibility upon those who say they believe this thing and that everything that they express as being part of this thing must have two elements. It must be both good and it must be news. And believe me, <coughs> I've been in the church long enough and in Christian circles long enough and in ministry long enough to know most of what has been construed and put out is neither good nor news. So we've done the same thing with this word repentance rather than turn around, change your mind, think differently. See, the, the words they associated it with in using the word repentance to translate metanoia, turn around, change your mind, think differently. The words they associated with in creating the word repentance were the connected English words to penance and penitence. Now, believe me, certainly uh, as Christianity began to develop as a uh, as a as a, um, a a path to with from in God, um, this idea of penance and penitence has 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 been cropping up from the very earliest times. Uh, and uh, of course they carry with them penance and penitence, the need for payment, the need for 
to make retribution for what you have done. The, you know, anyway, I'll, I'll look at a few thoughts on those words in a minute. But but I want you to get the thing that 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 these the associated words that have have caused the word repentance to be applied for this wonderful word metanoia, change your mind, turn around, think differently, are connected to those English words penance and penitence, uh, which create both a wrong focus and a misapplication of what is, in essence, a powerful truth. Now, this idea of uh, translating it, relating it to penance and penitence and coming up with the word repentance is, is something called word derivation. There's something to impress your friends with. Word derivation. And what it really means, and it occurs in, 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 in many languages, is that we, we take the word we want to translate and then we derive from existing words in our language, a word that we decide to use to describe the word that we're trying to translate. Do you get that? Now, now here's the problem with word derivation. You know, um, of course, our, our introduction to the printed Bible is, is, in essence, of history fairly recent. And, of course, for many of you, the beginnings of uh, what has become the, the Bible as you accept it is, you'll be familiar with this term, the King James Bible, Bible of 1611. Um, here's the problem that, that um, repent, the whole, the, just the word itself, repent, is a relatively recent word. Right. So so everybody's reading it. Oh, you know, Paul said repent. You know, Jesus said repent. Well, repent is a relatively recent word in which the church invests more confidence than it actually deserves. See, th this old word repent, it, it, it comes from, remember those words we talked about, the um, penance and penitence. The, the root of the word repent comes from from. Around 1300 AD, 1300, it meant to feel such regret for sins or crimes as, as, as produces amendment of life. Okay, But this, this is only the description definition that occurred around 1300. Right? Now we're talking about the use of this being... Uh, being first century Middle Eastern, uh, Jewish dominated, Hebrew dominated in its thought process. So we've taken a word that only occurs around the time of 1300, a recent word, um, and put all this store upon it that we think we understand it, when actually all we understand is what those who came up with the word around uh, 1300 uh, decided that the word meant. Uh, so, so it's become to us, you know, oh, it's to feel regret for sins or crimes to, to a way that produces a difference in life. It's, it's a very noble way of describing it, but it is not what that word meant. And, and that word repent in 1300 actually comes from an old French word from, from the 11th century. And that word was repentir, repentir, which can you see, repentir. French, repentir, 
we get repent by 1300 and then we've decided what it means is to feel regret for sins or crimes to produce an amendment of life. So the whole idea, the whole concept of it really is from that word is more rooted in the Middle Ages than it is actually in what it should be defined to mean. Now, now that 11th century uh, repentir in the French uh, is, is, a, is, a, is a development of a word in vulgar Latin. I love that there's vulgar Latin. Uh, I don't think that's Latin where you kind of swear and speak obscenities. At least I'm assuming that's not it. But uh, if it is, it would be fun to read it. But that's a it's a, it's a it's it, it, it its roots are in vulgar Latin, uh, and that word is penitere, 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 which means to regret, and that comes from the Latin poenitere, poenitere, which is to make sorry, which comes from the word poena, which is where we get our word penal. So immediately we have now put into the process because of its development not from Hebrew not from not from the intent of that first century use in its culture we've now gone to the penal right uh, which then goes to the make sorry why because punishment which then goes to the regret why because I want to avoid the punishment which then goes to the feeling regret for sins or crimes to produce an amendment of life so I don't face the punishment. Now, I'm not saying they're not noble ideas. I'm not saying that they are not, to some degree, a necessary process in the evaluation of life. But what I'm saying is that is not what was meant by the word that is used in so many of those wonderful statements that we find in Bible, particularly in the New Testament. Um, so, so the distinction then comes into modern languages between regret and repent. In, in some modern languages, that's clear, but, but this differentiation was not present in older periods and we've caught too much of that uh, emphasis. So that, therefore, the repentance we're most familiar with is about regret, remorse, contrition, sorrow, self-abasement, mortification, which all relate to judgment, penal, an idea, a penal idea of God and the ways of God. God is the great judge. We are the ones being judged. We are uh, so sinful and so unworthy that he has to speak judgments over us. And so you go on to various things I'm not going to argue and talk over today. But I think you can see what I mean by how this is rooted in that. Uh, when the truth is, it's none of these things. That original repentance is none of these things. So, first of all, let me release you from that. It's, it's, so, to properly understand the meaning, the purpose and the value of repentance, we first need to see what is the accurate translation and then apply what would be understood by that to the people at the time that it was being spoken. One of the things about studying languages is that you have to apply the interpretation of language within the context that it was delivered or spoken. So the, the issue is not that what does that word mean to you, the issue is what did that word mean 
to them. And then don't be guilty of taking that word and saying, but this is what it means to us. So like I've said to you from, from the, the Latin through, through to French, through to English, we come up with the word that, that by the time it's clarified as our word repentance, we've hit the 13th century. Uh, so we superimpose that onto the, onto the understanding of the word when we should not, because we, we should look at it from its original perspective. How would they have looked at this and why is it important? See, the Greek word which finished up translated repentance in, in, in English, this word metanoia, metanoia is a compound word of two things the preposition meta which means after or with and the verb the action of this noio noio means to perceive to think or the result of perceiving or thinking differently so it it it's it's a thing of after or behind one's mind. It, it, it really means something that is an afterthought. It's with an afterthought. It's, or it's the thought after. So repentance is not something you do to release something or receive something. Repentance is something you do. If we're putting it back to its original meaning, it's a response that you have to the revelation of something. So it's not something you have to do to get something. It's something that flows out of you because you have something. It's the thought after, the afterthought. After what? After a new realization. It's not something that precipitates something but it's a word that follows something, the action of a realization. So, so repentance or metanoia is the action of a realization. And so we have to let repentance be the action of a realization, not all that other stuff. See, penitence, penitence, oh, doesn't fit. Repentance, metanoia, its real thing, is not an expression of remorse. It's a response to a revelation. So what is that realization or revelation that this experience rides on? Well, to understand its power, to help you and me, we must understand a little of the context in which it was used. Now, an interesting side note here. The word repent was also used by the Greek military in the ancient military structure of, 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 the, Greek of, of the Greek army. It, it, and, and it was the command that they used to about face. <laughs> Repent. See, so, so when in the Greek army, the sergeant major, or whatever their equivalent is, shouted repent on the parade ground everybody didn't fall on their knees sobbing and weeping and and trying to perceive how unworthily unworthy and and undesirable they were and begging for acceptance and if only they could accept us because this wonderful gift that is but you know it's like but that whole thing of that comes from the penal idea remember how we structured this so so when when that sergeant major said repent they didn't fall on their knees fall on their faces they just simply turned around yeah just the simple act of turning around now what's interesting is that within this there was no call to stop marching so the way it was applied in the greek language didn't mean 
stop marching, it meant quickly turn around uh, and, and keep moving with the same intensity, but move in a new direction. So we already have a, a, an understanding of this, even from that Greek perspective perspective that when you grasp this revelation you turn around and you move with the same intensity in a new direction. Now to do that we need to understand how the Hebrew mind perceived time and the role of past, present and future because remember the, the, why, the, why it's called Judeo-Christian tradition is because primarily Jesus was a Jew and uh, this whole thing was beginning being released out of what is a Jewish mindset, a Hebrew culture. And so if we don't understand some of that, we're going to miss the nuance that, that this, the use of this word uh, metanoia, which we've said repent, actually means. So, so we've got to understand a bit how the Hebrew mind perceived the role of past, present and future. This will hopefully help us understand what was happening in the mind of those who first heard this word when they first heard it used in the proclaiming of what we now call the good news. And uh, the use of this is, should not be put down to the work of 11th century scribes. Uh, you know, and 13th century English translators, it shouldn't, okay, it shouldn't, and that's what we've done. See, how we think of past, present, and future is not the same as the ancient Hebrew concept of those things, and until you grasp that, you won't understand what it meant to their minds when somebody said, repent and be converted, every one of you, um, and your sins will be blotted out. We don't understand it. So, so here's how we understand past, present, and future. I live in the present, the past is behind me, and the future is in front of me. So we talk about looking back to the past, and we talk about looking forward to the future. But you see, that's not, and this is why it's so important to understand this through the eyes of a first century Jew, not a 21st century Englishman or American or Indian or whatever. We look back at the past, we look forward to the future. But you see, in the Hebrew mind, the past is in front of me and the future is behind me. Now that's totally alien to our Western mindset now that they believed the past is in front of me the future is behind me. And yet when you stop to analyse this, you realise it's more insightful, uh, more intellectually correct than our westernised concept has become. And I keep looking as though, I look as though I've got this, uh, this, this arrow stuck in my head here. Never mind, sorry, that's about staging. Forgive me. Anyway... So, so the ancient Hebrew mind was the past is in front of me, the past is in front of you, the future is behind me, the future is behind you, opposite to what we think. Now, he, here's, here's their logic behind it. I can see my past. I cannot see my future. Therefore, if I can see the past, it must be in front of me, because if it wasn't, I couldn't see it. Now, when I think of how much of our past dominates what we see and the way that we see life, I think, huh, 
That's a phenomenal revelation. The, the past is in front of me. It's what I see. It's what I measure life by. It, it's, what, it's what disturbs me. It's what challenges me. Uh, it's what drives me. It's what concerns me. It's what bothers me. It's what I'm trying to get free from. Why? Because we see the past. The past is... So the Hebrew mind said, yeah, because the past is in front of you. Whatever's in front of you is what you see. And we tend to live our lives then if we take this logic of looking at the past and that's defining our present and determining our future. So the past is in front of me, Hebrew mind, the future is behind me. Why? Because I can see the past, but I can't see the future. So therefore, if I can't see the future, it must be behind me because I can't see what's behind me. And because I can't see what's behind me, that creates a realm of uncertainty, insecurity, mystery. And so if I'm not prepared to engage with a process of mystery and turn my life towards the, the unseen mystery, then I will always be dictated to by the weight and constrictions and wounds and hurts and whatever else of the past. So do you, do you get the idea? Extremely, extremely logical and clever. So if you now apply that logic to the, to the hearers of the statements that came in the Gospels or in the New Testament to those people, repent and be converted. They were not thinking, be sorrowful, be remorseful. Um, you are being judged. Um, you must be penitent. You must fall on your knees and apologize. And all of those I've said have their place, but not in this. What they were hearing was when they heard metanoia, they heard the words, you have to turn around. But turn from what? Turn from your past and what your past is saying that dictates who you are at this present time. And turn yourself to the mystery of what is the future, which may be insecure for you because you can't control it. But it's there. But that is where you need to look if you are going to be converted and if your sins, your behaviours, your life, the things in your life are no longer going to dictate to you and determine who you are, you have to turn to this mystery. You have to turn away from letting that dictate to you. So when it said repent and be converted, it was saying, ah, so what you have to do is turn from the past that is in front of you to the future which is behind you. Turn from that which you can see to that which you can't see. Turn from what is being determined to what is mystery. You've got to turn from it. And that is where your freedom will begin to come. See, true repentance is the decision to turn away from that which you can see towards that which you can't. And this has strong implications towards the spiritual nature of all of life uh, to no longer be de defined by your past. See, I will no longer allow my past to control my present and determine my future when I engage with this, with this proclamation of metanoia, right? 
not with the 13th century idea of repentance, which will always keep you in a place of realizing this all begins judiciously and that, 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 that it, it's all penal. It's all about rules and keeping rules. And if you don't keep the rules, it's, it, it frees you completely from that idea and lets you say, actually, I can and I am free to and I am able to turn myself around, which means I will no longer let the past control my present or determine my future. That actually is the essence of the gospel. That's the good news that you can do that. See, the problem we have is in our own discomfort with being asked to look at something we can't see and trust ourselves to it fully. Now, that's where I believe faith comes in. It's where I believe faith in God comes in. It's where I believe faith in a source creator, divine presence imparter comes in. That does not follow the model that some of you have grown up with of the all controlling, you know, God is in control thing, which I think is nonsense. But that's another conversation for another day um, about what we mean by that. But, but you see, we have to come to the place to realise that, yeah, it needs a measure of faith for you to do this. But, but you have that measure of faith, if only you'll do it. Um, repent and be converted was the words. Okay, metanoia, turn around. Why? Stop letting your past dictate your, define your present and, and determine your future. And for so many of you, that's a word you need today. Your whole present is being dictated by past and you can't seem to get free from past. That's because you keep looking at it. And that's why one of the essences of the gospel is that calling us to look at Jesus, to, to turn your face, to look at that which authors and perfects faith is the idea that says, I can turn, I will turn. And if I do turn, that will stop dictating my present and uh, determining my future. So come to that place of discomfort. I know it's, it's a place you can't control anymore. Some of you think you can control uh, what comes to you from the past, but I know from personal experience you absolutely can't. It absolutely runs amok and plays havoc with your whole life. That's why the whole word was, look, you've got to turn from that. And the Hebrew mind said, yes, our past has been what has determined everything up to now, but we are going to turn from that. And the cops suppose that's where grace, that's where salvation, that's where all these ideas come into that process. So I'm issuing a call to you today. It's a call to repentance, but not as you know it. For God's sake, for your sake, stop letting the past dictate who you are in the present, punishing yourself over it, penancing over it, penitencing over it, and determining, stop letting it determine who you will be in the future. You're better than that. You are. You're more than that. That's the good news. And the one who Paul said was revealed in him, not to him, is in you and working this out through you. If you'll just accept, turn around in your thinking and let it be. Come to that place with me today. Let's turn from our past dictating. Let our present be free so that our future can be glorious because we have all that we need for all that we will ever face. Um, I call that God uh, and that's why I invite you into the space that I'm in. But uh, repentance is not a if you do this and uh, you'll get that. If you don't do it, you know, this penitence thing. It's actually the realisation 
of a reality that is already there because of what has already been done, provided, and is in you, and that gets released. And so repentance then, our turnaround, is a response to that reality that says, huh, I'll have me some of that. We'll have you some of that today, and be blessed, and I love you, and look forward to talking to you again. Thanks for listening to another Q York podcast. If you've been inspired by what you've heard today, then why not email us at info at qyork.co.uk and let us know who you are and where you're listening from. We love that you're listening to us and we'd love to hear from you too. Did you know you can also watch all of the talks from Q on our YouTube channel? Just go to youtube.com forward slash qchurchyork. We look forward to having you with us again soon. Until then, enjoy the quest.